The following episode is brought to you by Rogue Coffee Roasters MKE. This is a small business in the Midwest, in the heart of America, Milwaukee, making great coffee with unique flavors. And it is also brought to you by BuildCores, a PC parts and building app on both Android and iOS. But we'll get to those later. Right now, let's get to the show. Okay, and welcome to Broken Silicon, a PC hardware and gaming podcast. This is being recorded actually right after Thanksgiving. Me and my co-host Dan are uh, in our parents' house right now, actually in the old unfinished part of the basement because that's where the acoustics are best. For some reason, yeah. Well, so there's much, boxes in there's here, just so, so like, much shit in here that there's it dampens the echo. Exactly, and so. Uh, the only thing we're saying is you might hear a door close above us. You might hear paws of dogs walking around. There you are, just there are three dogs currently in the house, so you never know. You know this is what works, and we are committed to giving you guys that sick content every week. So yeah, and hopefully this you'll get some fun, uh, random audio of dogs walking around this time. I would almost guarantee you'll randomly hear a bark once. Yeah. Probably. Dan, how are you doing today? Pretty good. How was your Thanksgiving? How was our Thanksgiving? I think it was pretty good. Had some turkey, mm-hmm. as is the usual for Thanksgiving. I'm sure a lot of people had turkey. Mashed potatoes. Mashed potatoes. A vegetable cheesy hot dish, as is standard for the Midwest. Yeah. Especially northern Midwest, where we're from. And we went to see Knives Out. We saw Knives Out. We saw Ford v. Ferrari. We saw The Irishman. Yeah, all good movies. We watched H3H3. Our parents didn't seem to like it very much. (laughs) Not a fan of Ethan and Hila. Didn't seem to get that Ethan is intentionally sounding stupid all the time. Well, I'm not sure how much of the crossover your audience has with H3H3, so we might just be talking out of our asses right now to them. No, we're not. There's plenty of people who know who Ethan and Hila are. I mean, they have like 7 million subscribers, so I'm sure there's some crossover. (laughs) But to the people who know Ethan, the problem is if you show an old person Ethan talking, these your parents won't get that he knows he's wrong almost constantly. They're like, like my mom would be in the background, yeah, well, that's not correct. I'd say, yeah, he's, I don't know if you see the guy wearing the beanie and like shifting around in a chair in a pastel colored uh, <laughs> hoodie. We know he's not the foremost expert on foreign policy. Well, he might be. I mean, compared to what we have now, could be pretty good. <laughs> I'll take him. Anyways, I think we should get started. Uh, this might be the last standard Tom and Dan episode of the year. We have 11 years of being a PC gamer coming uh more die shrinks coming and uh i'm gonna try to get one more guest after this but if you can believe it if this comes out you know what what december 3rd or something sounds about right around december 3rd or 4th and then a week later is another guest episode uh the next week is almost christmas and that's when we'll start rolling out the uh multi-part series with uh you know chris the good old gamer not an apple fan cortex and of course 
Unfortunately, me and Dan. <laughs> but shall we get started in this? The previous one, and you will enjoy this. I uh, put out on Twitter our previous Tom and Dan episode, the 3950X one. I said the penultimate Tom and Dan episode. <laughs> Where do you land on penultimate? It's a word that you, it can be used for second to last of something. Yeah. It's, Some people I've heard say it sounds very hoity-toity. Hey, I learned that word reading a series of unfortunate events when I was in like third grade. I don't think it's that hoity-toity. I got to agree. It does sound very Burgoese to me. Anyways, actually where I'm going to start this episode is a message from Gerard. On the previous Tom and Dan episode, someone asked a question about audio engineering and he wrote in. So I, you know, I didn't want to speak out of turn, but he can certainly speak to this. He says, uh, regarding a rig for audio editing, I don't use my Windows PC to do anything audio related. And that's probably because when I was at university, they taught me in a Mac environment. By 2011, I had my own iMac. Now I have a MacBook Pro, a mid-2015 model with an i7 and 16 gigabytes. But I would, but I do know you would definitely want a good processor, as much RAM as you can get. You work as an audio engineer uh, to process all of the VST audio and MIDI tracks and plugins. Not as much for podcasts or smaller projects, but for other types of audio work. Uh, my experience working with Pro Tools and Windows honestly just isn't very good or stable compared to Mac, to be clear. But if I had to build a PC just for audio production, I would focus a lot on air cooling uh, and noise. Keep in mind that some people keep their PC in another room just to avoid noise. I'm rambling now. Have fun, guys. <laughs> but yeah, so, and that's one thing I have heard too, is you want a lot of threads, especially if you're doing complex audio work. Yeah, which makes sense. Yeah. Anyways, Carbon Cry writes in and says, once an edgelord, always an edgelord. Hashtag edgenation. Which is in reference to, I believe, the live stream where I said I was an edgelord in high school. And I, I basically am an edgelord when I'm sober half the time. Would you agree? Kind of. I don't know. I don't know if you're like super, super edgy, but... I can be still. Yeah, you can Every be. now and then you'll run into high school, Tom, and you'll like say one thing incorrect. And I'll just like look at you like, so do I strangle you now or like, what's next? <laughs> that was the era of Tom where I didn't really drink at all and... You know, you'd find me nitpicking on Tom's hardware forums constantly. Hmm. You just got to let it go. <laughs> just, just got to let it go. So I think it's time to get into the news. I think that's enough banter. We'll have more reader mail questions throughout. The first story, number one, the teaser of the 3990X. It's confirmed the 3990X is the 64 core. It's coming early next year, 2020. To the shock of everybody that listens to this and other PC hardware stuff. <laughs> you can't maybe tell Dan is being sarcastic. We Sorry. are in no way shocked. Maybe I should uh, intonate better when I'm being sarcastic. I've noticed a lot of people that don't know me, they're like... Well, also, yeah, Europeans. And I don't know if you've noticed, half of the countries out there don't even have sarcasm. Yeah, that's true. When we went to high school, I had a friend from New Zealand. And like me and my friend realized we could just be sarcastic and she wouldn't know what was happening anymore. And that was like a bit in Flight of the Concords, like New Zealanders not understanding sarcastic Americans. Was or, it? Yeah. That, that, or oh, so. they were always liter very literal in Flight of the Concords. Yeah. <laughs> uh, now, if you're from Canada, the U.S., France. England. England. Probably Germany. You understand sarcasm pretty well. <laughs> you get it. But yeah. there's some countries out there where it's just like, why is he saying those things? Why are you saying that? <laughs> or like, yeah. And if you're one of those people, we don't care. 
we're not mad at you. <laughs> but just know that if you think me and Dan have malice, we don't. We're either just screwing around or we're being sarcastic. Our parents raised us this way. There's no way for me to not be like this. Guys. I mean, me and Dan had to deal with the most sarcastic parents in history from four. We were like dealing with. Remember our mom used to say like if you're. She would like smile and say, if you kids aren't good, I'm going to put you in the closet with upside down crucifixes. Yep. <laughs> and I laughed. I was four. So I knew it was a joke by the time I was four. Yeah. So you guys, we come from a weird family, but this is an exclusively PC hardware podcast going back to the 3990X. <laughs> I mean, I, I think it's going to cost four grand, double the 32 uh, core. I, yeah. I mean, I was saying that like if it has 64 threads in 64 cores, not threads, it's going to be four grand. It's twice as many cores. I mean, I could see them even trying to do more than four grand, like 4,300 or something. Yeah. Now you can get 64 core Epic chips, or at least I believe you used to be able to for a little under five grand. I don't actually remember the exact price. Now these were clocked. These, these will have been clocked lower than I'm sure what this ends up being clocked though. So I guess it depends. They might actually just straddle the line with what they charge for Epic. Probably. I, I I could easily see them going more than four grand, though, and I doubt they'll go under. Unless it's very I, low I clock. think they could very easily go 3,500. Okay. I mean, 80% yields, just put junk yields on it. <laughs> and then put one or two good chiplets. Like yeah. Really good chiplets so you can boost higher. I honestly don't see why that. I, I, I do think that's what they're going to do. Is just to say, hey, a chance to sell, you know, six thirty seven hundred X's for double the price, and then yeah. they'll put two good, and then they'll put one thirty nine fifty X on there. And if they could get away with selling it for thirty five hundred, I'm sure that would look great to everyone. Like that would really ingratiate themselves to everyone. That's uh, yeah, talking about. This. I guess we'll see. If there's a forty eight core, they'll probably go for four thousand, and then they'll go for like three thousand for the. 3,200 for the 30, 48 core or something. I don't know. If they That's do a 48 core. Which brings us to, I definitely think they could do a 48 core, guys. I'm not yeah. saying they won't, but I I, uh, the P, I see this. I There's been literally no evidence, no leaks of a 48 core, nothing. And you see like Linus Tech Tips and WCCF Tech just putting like 3990X uh, and then right below it, they just put like question mark 38X. Slash WX, like at WCCF still put slash WX, even though we know the name. Um, and it's like, guys, they don't need to do that. The original Threadripper, think about it for a second. What did it launch with? 8, 16, no, 8, 12, and 16. Three. It launched with yeah, three. Yeah. They don't need more than that. There wasn't anything else. They didn't bother to do like some six core or something silly like that or four core. It's like, that's it. And then with Zen Plus, they just refreshed the 12 and 16 core. They got rid of the 8 core, and then they added a 24 and a 32. Mm -hmm. So they could do 4, but I wouldn't assume so. And again, I think if you think about the market, it's like we're having trouble supplying enough 6-core chiplets. Again, 80% yields means 80% 8-core yields. I'm sure they disable some of those to get good 6-core yields. But I mean, you know, I don't see the, I just yeah, don't so, see the purpose. So it's almost a matter of if they choose to just like you disable some uh, good yields to mm -hmm. make a 48 core, which if they think that there's a market for that, they would do, but then maybe they could just sell the 64 like, core for the, less. I, I keep saying this, who is the 48 core for? 
The 24 and the 32 are common sense. There's plenty of apps that will go up to that many threads. But either the app can use infinite threads and you want all of them or not. I just don't see... Because the only argument for a 48 core would be, well, what if it's a bargain? Guys, it's not going to be a bargain. (laughs) Yeah, and if you're getting the 64 core, I'm assuming you're probably spending, what, like at least 10 grand on this system. Probably more. I mean, (laughs) what is the... And you're probably doing this for a... Using this for a job. So uh, what is with the, what, like five to $600 you would save for the 48 core when you could just spend the extra money and get the 64? That, that, that's what I think. But again, they could do it. I just don't, I just don't, I just, when I don't see an ADX in any leaks, I'm like, yeah, there might not be. Yeah. But uh, I think we should move on. Blokes writes in just like you can if you support us on Patreon and says the market for the 3980X is a future budget HDT release. Blokes, budget. Budget $3,000 processor. I'm not so sure. Where all other six-core chiplet processors get discontinued and all the six-core defects from the Armada of seven nanometer non-EUV fabs can now be sold for much better profit. Well, so that's, that is a point that I would, uh, I would point out. As I could see it existing if they start transitioning to Zen 3 and they don't care about Threadripper. And they just put all the six core yields into 48 cores and start selling those. And then they just maybe still just sell the 3600 as a budget chip to replace the 1600. I guess. I'm, I'm not sure. because And then perhaps they could roll out a 16 core too. I, like again, that's one thing I would say too. I don't know. Maybe there'll be a 3955X, a 3940X. Well, because for, but in my, they don't need to. Yeah, the budget HEDT right now is what? The, Zen Plus, by the way, that's the budget. HDMI. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. <laughs> Sixteen cores for six hundred bucks. Yeah, and you get sixty-four PCIe lines. There's your budget HEDT. Yeah, where? Yeah, I don't know. I think the idea of a the thirty-nine eighty X being for future budget HEDTs is confusing to me, but it doesn't make that much sense to me. But yeah, I mean, I, I guess that is an interesting argument, though. If they started discontinuing some of their other six-core chiplets, they can always roll this yeah. out. They don't need to launch everything at once. They can just decide, oh, now we're making it. Well, I mean, if we've seen uh, how they've launched uh, their parts this year, they do not need to launch everything at once. They've been staggering it a lot, it seems. so. Right. Um, and that brings us to story number two, 3950X watch. <laughs> <laughs> so here's this is actually interesting. It's selling for a thousand dollars on eBay. I saw a rep from Newegg say that they think there may have been a bot on Newegg, not on the other websites, but on Newegg that were auto buying up every 3950X and then selling them on eBay for a grand instantly, like automated. And that's pretty, pretty cool of those spot guys, but <laughs> yeah. Well, I blame Newegg though, right? Like, this is Newegg's fault. You're, they're supposed to be the ones that don't allow you to get away with that type of stuff. But what I will say is this. I already, in the live stream, talked about this, that they got 3950Xs in Chicago. I called them. They said they did get them. They sold. I called them today, actually. They did get them. They sold out immediately. The other one in Elgin, Illinois, they got them. They sold out immediately. Minneapolis, they got them. They sold out immediately. Uh, a supporter um, over in the Northeast. I won't say what state he lives yeah, in. Yeah, don't. Uh, but he said they had four this morning, and he was gonna ship if I if I pay, if I paid him back, he'd ship it. And so then he went to check, and it's gone. So he said in two hours, four were just gone from this morning. Which again, this is after Thanksgiving when we're recording, so this wasn't like right when it came out. So as far as I can tell, they're 
they exist. This is not a paper launch. Just people really, really yeah, want them. Yeah, they're just selling out super fast. Now, I would doubt the stock is insanely high, but I don't know. There's Here's what I know. Number one selling processor on Amazon. If it's a paper launch, it wouldn't be. <laughs> right? They wouldn't have enough stock to climb to number launch. one. Yeah. So again, I keep seeing people go, this is a paper launch. There's no availability. No, the demand is just at a fever pitch. Don't listen to the people like, you know, I almost got it a few times too. I keep getting email notifications that it's back in stock on Amazon and I keep not getting it because it keeps happening while I'm asleep. Yeah, that's the nice thing about buying the uh, 2700X. You're just, it's casual. Which Dan did. For yeah, I just got know. that. Uh, it's casual. You just walked into the micro center. There were like 10 of them on the shelf. <laughs> yeah. And for 130, which yeah. for those wondering, yeah, I am still looking for the 3950X. Uh, I did some research last night again to make sure it made sense. And I looked at the different workloads I'll be doing. 2700X just won't cut it. And I, and that yeah. means the 3800, even though it's like 30% better, won't either. Which I, 3800X is now literally the same price as the 3700X. Yeah, So, so that's pretty cool. Well, no, you're not going to hear this on Black Friday, but I hope some people, if they're looking to get parts, are doing some Black Friday shopping because there seems to be a lot of good deals right now. Although I got to say, I still think it's like, just maybe get the 2700X unless you need the better IO right away. Which yeah. is why I was considering the 3800X. But it's like, no, I looked it up and it's like, no, I'll max out that 2700X. <laughs> I will. And even if it's at like 80%, 70%, not quite maxed out with the stuff I'm doing right now, that I don't want it 70% maxed out the day I get it. I want yeah, that something that's not sweating at all. That's just running a game, rendering, uploading, and has oh. 10 Croton tabs open at once. And that's what the 3950X is for. It's the same people Threadripper used to be for, except now it's cheaper. And if you're looking at your upgrade history, you typically have stuck with processors for at least a decent amount of time. So, I mean, yeah, the only reason I switched to that Haswell i7 is because the motherboard kept breaking and yeah, I was freaking yeah. out. And I actually sold my old i5 plus motherboard for almost the same price I got it for. Yeah. <laughs> and I actually sold that Haswell i7 plus motherboard for about the same price I got the Skylake i7 for. Was that the... Uh... Oh, yeah, yeah. Never mind. So, I mean, if you really think about it, I didn't need to upgrade. I would have stuck with that Ivy Bridge i5. Um, Probably until at least Skylake. I mean, what? So, yeah, like I would have, and I got that in 2016. So I would have stuck with that i5 for four years if I didn't have motherboard issues. And yeah. I stuck with the Skylake. I still have it. We're not to four years yet, but we're uh, we're about three and a third. Mm -hmm. So uh, it might be four years. Probably not. I'm planning to upgrade in the next Few, couple months, but well, whenever you can, which essentially. is essentially, yeah. Now, Blokes writes in again. I'll give him two questions this time. And he says, Today, just a year and a half ago, the 2700X was $330. Some can find them for $130. Some people like Dan. <laughs> and the 2700X was a good processor back then. And one and a half years later, it's certainly not. Uh, obsolete. Hopefully this clears up any doubt on the subject. Do I buy this crazy cheap 2700X? Oh, and that DTX motherboard you were talking about before, Tom, is the X570 Asus Crosshair 8 Impact, which comes Fair with its is. own clipped-on sound card. Yep, uh, that's what I'm going to get. It's expensive, but the VRM cooling is really good for a small uh, motherboard. It also supports up to 64 gigabytes of RAM. It can support like double-ranked uh, double RAM. So like double mm. the height, like 32 oh, okay. gigs per stick, you know, so it can fit, it can, you know, and it has a sound card built in, has optical out and all this other stuff. So it's expensive, but I see it as like, well, it's really like a nice $250, $300 motherboard 
with a sound card. Yeah, and you'll have enough of those RAM slots to put your dummy uh, RAM sticks in, so that'll be good. Yeah, uh, (laughs) because I am going to be getting those dummy RAM sticks for sure. But yeah, uh, I mean, about the 2700X, yeah, it's a great processor for $130. I mean... It's insane. Do you think... It's insane. It's an i3 price. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess... is. Do you think like prices for this gen are going to drop the same way they did for last? See, that's gen? the question that people have been asking me too. That asked on that live stream uh, again. I'll plug that again. The end of month loose ends. It was a, probably the best episode. Dan was in it, and we were really on point the whole time. There was no me getting insanely loopy because Dan was there to rein me in. So, like that was basically just another podcast. If you listen to this, highly advise going to the last loose ends episode that was on the YouTube channel. I mean. The, the question I was leading to, though, that I answered there is people asked, do you think it's worth getting, you know, basically, do you think the 2700X will continue to go down in price with pace to the third gen? In other words, will you save more money buying now and then waiting and getting a third gen later? I think you probably will if you wait a year. Like, Maybe, I could see the 3950X, 500 bucks in a year. Maybe. I mean, I, well, I, probably not in a year, but a year and a half. A year and a half down the road, who knows? Maybe I'll upgrade my CPU from the 2700X. At twenty seven hundred X for the thirty nine fifty, if it's a low enough price, I doubt I will. But what I see you probably ending up doing, I'll probably stick with the twenty seven hundred X for like four years. Is what will probably. So for those who don't know, too, Dan did get an X five seventy motherboard that was a cheaper one, but it was good and it'll fit in his case. And basically, this just allows him to swap out processors and uh, SSDs when he wants to, without having to tear apart his entire system in the future. Yeah. And again, I think some X five seventies, if you look at it. They have, you're, they're about the same price, 20 bucks more than a really nice X470. And they have the extra USB and all of that stuff. So it's like, X, again, X570 isn't that bad, you know? But yeah, what I see you really doing eventually, Dan, is kind of Zen 3 comes out and then you wait another half year and then you see what where the prices fall after Rocket Lake comes I, out. I've always been a more opportunistic purchaser. Yeah, which actually on that note, Rocket Lake is looking 14 nanometer, by the way. <laughs> so, but what I, what I find weird is uh, news that they're pulling it up. So I'm still kind of like, hmm, I guess I don't know. We don't know. I, I think there's still that slim, slim chance Rocket Lake as they bring a cove architecture to 14 nanometer. Mm-hmm. Or they do some kind of half paper launch, 10 nanometer hybrid lineup next to their 14 nanometer. I could see that as yeah. well. I, I think it's, I think the most likely chances is just another 14 nanometer refresh, <laughs> though, to be honest. I hope Which is what I've not, said the whole time. That's what I said in my Whispers of Golden Cove thing. Yeah, I know. It's just... To I, the people that say, Tom thinks, no, I don't think. I've just been told that Intel's trying to do this, but I think it's most likely. To be clear, that it's just another 14 nanometer, which would be so depressing. I know, because that's what, four, how, long, how many years is that on 14 nanometer now? If, if that 2014, isn't it? Or yeah, Something like that. Okay, number three. So it looks like Navi may be set to introduce the quote-unquote next biggest Navi at CES. And this is according to a Chip Hell uh, leaker uh, who has a popular kind of like a WCCF uh, in China. A mm-hmm. bit more accurate, I would say, though. Uh, they, they get a lot of rumors early, and apparently this is the guy that leaked the 590 right before it came out. Yeah, I, I can't remember the guy's name, but I've seen it before. And yeah, he seems to have a lot of good leaks behind him. So, yeah. So, I mean, real. 
Supposedly, it will have ray tracing support and other onboard 3D audio and goodies. Um, I mean, uh, just so those who know, uh, CES is January 7th through 10th, I believe. So we're looking at, you know, a launch right after the holiday season. Well, not a launch, an announcement, and then yeah. probably a launch in quarter one. So Yeah, yeah. So like February or March, I guess. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, so what do you think, Dan? Um, not too much. I mean, ray tracing, not a surprise since we know it's in next-gen consoles. I think I've said that before, but, and I don't know what the exact specs are going to be or anything, so I don't have much to say to that, but. Yeah, I'm looking at some of the stuff here, and uh, it says a mix of GDR6 and HBM2 graphics cards. So I actually pulled down my Navi videos. I don't, I don't know. I, I actually mean to re-put them up. I just pulled them because I thought people were referencing them too much. And uh, one thing I said is that I had a couple sources really insistent that it was going to support both GDR6 and HBM, which, if true, would be, I don't know, interesting. Yeah, I mean, they... they And some people say, that's stupid. They can't do that. Why not? They could. It's it's not illegal. Why can't they make a die that supports both? I don't know. And you cut it down more, you put GDR6 on it. Is it that fucking hard to conceive (laughs) of, you dinguses? Uh, Yeah, I don't know. It's just like, just because it hasn't been done often doesn't mean they can't do it. (laughs) You know, I could see them doing that with APUs as well. They could have an IO die that supports HBM and graphics. And then the more cut down APU just uses DDR4. Speaking of other leaks too, I just threw this in there. Uh, I've been hinted at it again. And I said this in the live stream that there's some really interesting stuff coming with Zen 3, 4, and 5. Again, guys, I don't have much to say. I'm just kind of throwing this in here at the end here because this is like the only part where we really talk about, I guess, leaks in the distant future. Mm-hmm. But it is called Zen 3. It is not called Zen 2 Plus. It is not. It it would be fucking insane if it was an 8% IBC increase and nothing else. <laughs> Guys, it's called Zen 3. Come on. Jesus. And Zen 4 is supposedly going to be as revolutionary as Zen 2. But we'll have to see what yeah, that actually that's means. That's a couple years down the road, so who knows? Mm, maybe less than two years. So JJ48 underscore 24 writes in, just Larry. like you can if you support us on Patreon. And he says, I know this is probably a dumb question. We'll, we'll be the judge of that, JJ. Uh, but will it take time for developers to optimize for the RDNA instruction set when it is implemented in new Navi? Um, I don't think that's a dumb question. I think it's a pretty straightforward answer, though. Time, yes, everything well, takes time, but I don't think it's going to take as long as you think. I mean, yeah, the first, uh, the first like uh, drivers for it were kind of just modified Vega drivers, weren't they? Yeah. So yeah, there's going to be some time where they're optimizing how well this works, and I'm sure we'll see performance gains in the current Navi lineup over the course of its lifetime. And, I mean, we always see that. But. And Gamers Nexus did a really good interview with some people at Radeon and basically outlined some ways that this can have significant IPC gains, like massive. I mean, it already mm-hmm. has massive, but that we might only be halfway there. And I guess in terms of a time horizon, I mean, look, I see RDNA as, I don't know if it'll last as long as GCN. They say it will, uh, but it could. And if we were to line this up with GCN, although I think people are comparing things to the past a little too often now, like it's always going to be the same. Yeah. It's, it's not always going to be the same. I don't think this is probably as revolutionary as GCN, probably. But P- 
people talk about how GCN kept getting better and better and better and aged like fine wine. And GCN certainly did get enhancements over 10 years. But don't forget that that first massive driver update that gave them a 20 to 30% boost happened December 2012, one year after it came out. That was a 30% boost right there. Yeah, I remember like reviews for that driver. Uh, It was like, it it feels like you're with some of these cards, you it feels like you just got a new card by this driver update, but yeah, and I think it's worth pointing out that that was a year before the PS4 even came out. Yeah, so Navi came out well a year before, a year before the PS4, but I guess technically GCM Paper launched two years before the PS4. Yeah, and so if if Navi's coming out one year before the PS5, I mean, look by the time. I think, yeah, I think it's not going to take two years. I think you're going to start seeing big jumps by early 2021. Big, big, big jumps. Yeah, I mean, with the new consoles coming And frankly, if it's anything to go by before, it'll probably get big jumps by mid-next year. So by summer of 2020, I think you're going to start getting some of these gigantic uh, driver updates that you see these huge jumps in performance. That'll be fun to watch, I think. Yeah, that's always fun to see. Uh, but speaking of Navi launches, also the RX 5500 has been reviewed on a few places, including Tech Power Up. Did you look at its results, Dan? Um, yeah. So I think we talked about that. It looks like a good like $180 card, maybe. But, but yeah. they don't know the price of it yet, right? No, because it's only sold to OEMs right now. I mean, oh, yeah, yeah. and so for those who don't know, the RX 5500, they only reviewed the four gigabyte version. Um, it seemed to perform roughly about as well as a 580. There were a couple games where it did worse. There was like one or two games where it beat a 590. Yeah. So we're looking at a 580, though, for the four gigabyte version. And that, you know, that's basically almost tied with a 1650 Super. So it's like, whatever. You know, it's it, it's all about the price. If they actually tried to charge $200, and frankly, it's not even the performance, just charging $200. For a four gigabyte card is incredibly looks egregious. Yeah, looks bad today. <laughs> so I would say the most they should charge for this, well, frankly, is 150, but I bet they could get away with 160. Yeah. And then I think the eight gigabyte version, hopefully with the fully enabled die, so they can get that other 10% boost. Hopefully that will be 200. If they hit 200 for eight gigabytes, 150 for four, and like maybe it's the 5500 XT is the eight gigabyte version with a few more compute units enabled. I think they got a winner. Yeah. I mean, that's basically an eight gigabyte version would be probably, let's see if I'm looking at this chart here, probably tie the 590 while using half the energy and being like a bit cheaper. Although the 590 is, I think, below $200 now. Um, Yeah, that'll do fine. That'll certainly make the 1660 series pretty irrelevant. There's also rumors they're going to bring out some 5600, which is a further cut down Navi 10. So that would really turn the knife there. And then what for 150, the 5,500, though, yeah, it's certainly better than the 1650, which is what it's being positioned against. Yeah, so yeah. I think we can expect it to be below 180 for the four gigabyte. I just um, really think I, 150 is the price that would nail it. Yeah. I, and if they're trying to, yeah, twist the knife, that would be a good decision to go like for 150, $160 to, against the 1660. You know, one thing I would say is if it's not 150 or if they even think of doing 180 for it, just don't release it. <laughs> like, don't release it. You're selling it to OEMs, which is good. Yeah. Uh, one thing they say in the reviews is the fan is incredibly well-built and sturdy. It feels like a premium card. 
So there's no way this thing is like 130 or 140, I think. I think they're going to do 150 minimum. But if they can hit 160 and you're running out of Polaris stock, sure, launch it. But otherwise, just keep selling the 570s. Wait as long as you can, AMD, to debut this. Uh, wait, maybe wait to supply all your OEM uh, customers, uh, sell out Polaris. Just do not launch this at 180 is what I would say. Yeah, and... I mean, they. I think 180 is the highest they can kind of get away with it, but I think just don't do it because the reviews will sit there forever and people will... <laughs> I mean, come on, AMD. Yeah, and like you said, let Polaris run out, which it seems like that might be what they're doing. I mean, there's not really much of a reason to position anything that competes with Polaris until they're running out of them. But. I mean, I would even go as far as to say, and this is something we talked about in the live stream, I think the real... Um, strategy for AMD moving forward should be not hesitating to launch products nor launch them at good prices. But if you don't want to sell a ton, then never make it a paper <laughs> launch. But it's like the 3950X. Guys, this is at least in the US not a paper launch, but they're all but they're certainly going to worry about epic supplies more. And yeah. then Threadripper. Yeah. And then the 3950X. And so when they have surplus chiplets, we'll make 3950Xs. I think that's how they should handle the 5500 as well. Launch it so it exists. It captures Mindshare. You get all these reviews at websites. Launch it for a good price. And then if you make half as many as you're making Polaris, fine. Just yeah. don't bother to launch a bad product at launch. Well, there's no point. Then no, don't launch it. I, or, I mean, or just make less of them. And then people will see it's out of stock and buy Polaris. It's just such a bad idea. Yeah, because I did get, I was told they were considering doing like two hundred forty, maybe for the eight gigabyte version, or maybe even the four gigabyte, and that's just egregious. I just want to find the guy <laughs> whose idea that was. Like, you think that'll? I mean, uh, forget about selling. You look stupid. Yeah, but yeah, let's move on to number five. Rumors of the twenty eighty Ti are super are yeah, coming super. out which we all knew it was going to have. Supposedly, this will have the full amount of cores and 16 gigabit per second chips for GDR6. So yeah, you're looking at uh, 15% faster memory and 10% more cores around. Hey, they're releasing the full chip, though. That's pretty cool. Am I right? <laughs> Me and Dan just high-fived. <laughs> Yeah, but do you know what the thing is? They don't know if it's going to have 11 gigabytes or 12. And I'm like, I mean, if it had, I just, the idea that there's an odd number card, like 11 gigabytes, it's just a slap in the face to people. I know. You're not worth 12 gigabytes, you piece of shit. Here, take your 11. Take your 11 gigabytes. Yes, sir. Okay. Stick Here's like $1,300 for a non Titan. Take the last gigabyte up your ass. Yes, we don't shove care. that. Where's the gigabyte? It's up our ass. Right up here. It's our butt. Come it's get it, baby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, hopefully they actually make a decent decision once and give it 12 gigabytes but well and 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 you know what i would say is looking at i think i did the math ahead of time if i look at the script yeah so like i think i'll do it'll be like seven to eleven percent more performance if it's mm -hmm. an 11 gigabyte card which should you know keep it that 30 percent stronger than the 2080 super because right now it's only 20 percent better but if they gave it the full 384 bit bus the full 12 gigabytes they could make this a full 10 to 15 percent better and i think this would keep them competitive with whatever amd's got coming out and if it just had 11 gigabytes what would that be like a 300 it's 20 it's 352 bit 352 oh yeah i did that math really bad in my head. But. <laughs> Remember, Dan doesn't pay attention to this as much as me, and he comes from the era where they gave you full cards. Yeah. 
But I guess, hey, you know, you vote with your wallet. People said keep fucking us over. And then, so here you go, 11 gigabytes again. Hmm. Thank you, Daddy. Because, you know, the 1080 Ti was too good with its odd number of memory. What a great card. (laughs) $700 for what used to be $500 and an odd number of RAM. I mean, that's pretty cool with me. Please whip me again, Daddy. (laughs) All right. Number six. I titled this, What If NVIDIA Just Solved the Logical MGPU Problem by Brute Forcing It with Software? And so this comes from a couple websites um, reporting on a new type of multi-GPU rendering where they render various tiles with the GPUs back and forth. And if I'm remembering correctly, uh, Crossfire used alternate... Alternate frame rendering. Yeah, right? I think and, they could both technically do that, but NVIDIA always like the split yeah, rendering. And yeah, and SLI used usually one card split rendered half the screen, right? Yeah, and so now they'll just do tiles that are of equal complexity all over the place. Oh, that makes sense. So if like one half of the screen was less complex, that might lead to, I don't know, rendering. Uh, disparity between the two cards with the old system at the SLI. Yeah. Oh, it certainly did. And that's why yeah, you get yeah. like 70% scaling because if you render the top half of the screen, it's always easier pretty much than the bottom half of the screen where the ground is. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> but yeah, so I find it interesting that they launched this right before rumors of the Hopper architecture come out, which might be a multi-die design. Oh, yeah. I mean... I mean, and the one thing I will say is this. NVIDIA has the money if they wanted to... Oh, so they, they might just brute force multi-die solution? Oh, that is a way to do it. <laughs> they like Maybe they will just make it so their drivers inherently tell the APIs it's one card and interpolate it for them and do tiled rendering. That's a thing. I, I, that's not confirmed, everyone. But when yeah. I see this and then I see the hopper rumor, You're, I think... It's hard to not connect two and two. Yeah. And, uh, you know... And this is what NVIDIA has to do. They have to keep the performance crown at this point. Yeah. Because Intel's coming in. And even though I don't think Intel's going for the high end, they're just going for efficient laptop chips first. That's going to be a real problem for NVIDIA. NVIDIA needs to be able to eventually sell their, whatever their MX250, 350 replacements are, where they'll do like, you know, maybe multiple hopper 50 millimeter squared chips that render together. They could just do dual, basically MX250s, and make a tiny die. Yeah. They need to be able to outcompete Intel there, and they need to be able to stay ahead of AMD where they are now. And they're only eh, 30% above the 5700 yeah. XT. They need to stay 30% above AMD at least. In fact, I think most people think 30% isn't enough. And I mean, I know some people are talking about NVIDIA taking back some market share last quarter, but it's like not, you know, again, it's not like NVIDIA's pummeling them like the 290X days or, or the late 290X days, really. Yeah. Uh, but they need this. The, the NVIDIA is a gaming GPU company. That's where their money comes from. So I could see them really, really, really putting in the effort. Yeah. And I mean, this would be an interesting solution as opposed to what some people originally thought. Like they just arrived at their version of Infinity Fabric for GPUs before AMD did. Well, what if they just brute force it? Yeah, which they'll have to have some kind of communication that's better than yeah. normal. But yeah, Obviously. I mean, but maybe they just go with this and uh, over time they try to work out the kinks so that they can get it to just work like Infinity Fabric. Yeah.
Building your first PC and don't know where to start? Go to BuildCore's PC Parts and Builds on iOS or Android and select between CPUs, motherboards, RAM, video cards, storage, power supplies, and CPU coolers. I have the app open right now, and when I click on CPU coolers, it lists them from top to bottom, most expensive to least expensive, and tells you where to buy them. This is an excellent app for sorting through the rough and building your first PC. Build cores, PC parts, and builds on both iOS and Android. I actually went into mechanical engineering to become a gun designer, but I found out upon leaving college that most of the design houses are in the deep south. I don't really feel like living in rural Florida. That meant I had to go to Detroit. And in Detroit, I work for one of the major three automotive manufacturers there, I learned I had to finally start drinking coffee. And you know what? I shit you not. When I first started making coffee, I just used a mixture of instant coffee combined with hot chocolate. 50-50. I didn't need a lot of caffeine back then. And I thought, you know, the hot chocolate makes it good enough. Well, over time, I realized I didn't feel like being fat anymore. So I started to work out and I started to watch my Eating. I went into this thing called a feeding window where I only can eat for eight hours a day. And you know what's a great hunger suppressant? Coffee. But it has calories if you put sugar or milk in it. So I had to start drinking coffee that wasn't 50-50 instant coffee and hot chocolate. I mean, what was I, five years old? So I started to appreciate the better taste, even if I'm not a coffee person. And one place you can go now to get an excellent coffee taste is Rogue Coffee Roasters. These guys are a small startup based in Milwaukee in the heartland of America that just make good coffee. They have a proprietary infusing process that roasts beans with unique flavors that don't taste artificial. I personally like Basic Bitch because it tastes like a pumpkin latte without the 380 bullshit calories you get at Starbucks. And you know what? They've got other things too. They've got Bordeaux infused coffee beans. They've got Magarabi. I don't know if I said that right, but it's coffee infused with mint and it tastes delicious. And you know what? The holidays are almost here. So reward someone with a gift, the gift of good coffee and the gift of not having to eat in the morning. And you know what? Right now, there is a deal where if you spend over $59, you get free shipping. And that's at RogueCoffeeRoastersMKE.com. And in fact, if you use the code BROKENSILICON, you will get 10% off your order. Go to Rogue Coffee Roasters MKE, use offer code BROKENSILICON, and get the gift of good coffee. All right, back to the show. But yeah, so number seven, NVIDIA opening up G-Sync to AMD graphics cards and game consoles. So if you have a G-Sync TV or monitor, you can use... Are you telling me that the G-Sync thing was just a DRM, DRM module? <laughs> Wait, I thought it couldn't work with AMD cards. It's too advanced for AMD. Yeah, AM dumbs don't get that. Hey. AM delusionals. <laughs> Uh, I mean, honestly, this was insanely unexpected to me. 
Uh, I mean, what uh, was G-Sync, were G-Sync monitors doing well? Seemed like they were kind of a joke. Uh, I... I don't know. You know, it's it's hard to say because at first they made they made a lot of money per unit. They basically got to sell this $100, $200 useless DRM chip yeah. to monitor manufacturers. But the monitor manufacturers usually also got to jack up the price another 100 bucks. So everyone was happy making extra money on the, you know, quote unquote, PC master race. Uh, you know, the people who have the luxury of 11 gigabytes of memory and then buy a $1,000 monitor that's worse than a $500 TV. Yeah, the $1,000 monitor that's just a $500 monitor with a $20 DRM uh, <laughs> module. Yeah. yeah. Well, there's also RGB on it, though. RGB. You take everything back, don't you? Yeah, I take all of it back. Yeah. So uh, let me see here. Let me look at this article a little closer, though. Okay, so I don't know if it's confirmed completely yet. The horse's mouth now suggests, yeah, but it looks like it's pretty much a sure thing. Yeah, whenever this happens, what I'll be excited about is just the fact that I don't need to worry anymore if I just see a good monitor. Because sometimes G-Sync monitors were a reasonable price. If I see a monitor that fits all of my needs, I can just get it. Instead of having to freak out about, is it this, is it that? I'll just look at the actual specs and it'll work with my stuff. And by the way, not just my AMD cards, but my consoles too. That would be nice. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a win for consumers. So, Yeah, and again, just for me, the biggest thing is, oh, that's unexpected. Yeah. Wouldn't you say? Which I guess if that, like if they're actually opening this up to other uh, non-NVIDIA cards, my guess would be G-Sync is kind of failing, but... I don't know. Uh, I think we all knew that a- NVIDIA was going to have to open this up eventually. Yeah. And I think Adore does a good job in one of his videos of outlining how AMD just kind of let NVIDIA get away with another insane marketing <laughs> win. Again, NVIDIA, for those who don't know, has basically... Well, we know that they've been bringing, G, you know, quote-unquote, biggest rolling of eyes, G-Sync, to non-G-Sync DRM monitors. Basically just monitors that meet their specifications, which are higher than AMD's minimum, to call it FreeSync, you know. Although FreeSync 2 kind of was supposed to take care of that. They should have just called it something else, probably. And that they said, if we certify your monitor for G-Sync, though, you have to remove the FreeSync label. Yeah. So now everyone just sees NVIDIA as... Which, to be fair, NVIDIA did kind of bring this variable refresh rate out before AMD. So we do kind of have to thank them for that initiative, actually. And AMD marketed it as... FreeSync, which just sounds like here's our shitty G-Sync. That's that's kind of what that sounds like to me. Yeah, at least I from a marketing standpoint. Yeah, I don't know how AMD keeps making these mistakes and just lets Nvidia get away with these insane marketing wins. I don't insane know, insane mindshare wins. But the good news is we can all use it now. So I mean, that's pretty cool, right? Yeah. Anyways, let's move on to. Number eight, AMD confirms Zen 3 brings entirely brand new CPU architecture, significant IPC gains, faster clocks, and higher core counts. Higher clocks uh, and higher core counts. Let's be clear. I think higher clocks is going to be like 100 to 200 megahertz. So we might get, you ready for it? This would be funny. This is what I'm hoping. 4.9. 4.9 gigahertz. Just 100 short of 5 gigahertz (laughs) would be hilarious to me. The dream of 5 gigahertz will never be achieved on AMD. Nope. <laughs> AM dumbs. AM slow. I've seen people say that. AM slow. I know there's it's not no very D. clever. 
Nah, most of these people There's, aren't very smart. There's some people that they, they really put time into the clever uh, derogatory terms for fans, but then AM slow is just so boring and I don't know. But yeah, if I look at this, it looks like, um, I mean, yeah, there's a, there, a WCCF's article kind of just putting out some of the obvious stuff, like what yeah. the density increases can be. But yeah, I mean, I expect it, again, I expect it to be like Ivy Bridge. Ivy Bridge had a couple hundred megahertz faster clocks than Sandy Bridge. It had um, 20, 30% reductions in energy usage. And then it also had some other nifty features like better, um, way better uh, graphics. I guess for Zen, it'll be more like they'll have, I mean, the Zen 3 APUs will probably use RDNA, so that'll be mm-hmm. a boost in graphics. But I mean, that's expected. I mean, I think there will probably be more 3D stacked, or should I say, not 3D stacked, but they'll have L4 cache options on yeah. some of them, I think. And yeah, so I think that's exciting. You know, I, I think we're looking at, again, right, if it was even 20% less, uh, even 10% less, power usage, 10% higher IPC, slightly higher clocks, you know, 1.1 times, you know, a 10% reduction. Now we're at like 1.21. And then you add like the, you know, bump. We're going to at least a 25% increase. So this is going to be a much bigger deal. And there's a lot of rumors that at least in server and in some of their SKUs, there will be higher core counts. No word on AM4 though. I'll say that. Okay. So not we're not sure yet if it's going to be Higher core counts for Zen 3 itself, then? No, they're changing the CCX system, so it's not two CCXs in a chiplet anymore, but just like one big eight-core chiplet. And so mm-hmm. that should bring some pretty significant IPC gains. They'll probably use the extra density to add more cash on the chiplet. IO die, no word. I mean, for all we know, we'll use the same IO die. Probably not. But what the same like a 12 nanometer yeah. we have now? But there's been no suggestions the IO die is getting some crazy change. But they they always have that option. They could launch an IO die with HBM on it, or mm-hmm. or you know if they have a little bit of they have some room on AM4 and on even on Epic still they could still fit on there a few more chiplets and some of those could be HBM. So yeah, I mean this is exciting. It just again whether it has SMT4 or not, Zen3 is going to be a big deal. And if they remove Z- SMT4, what this is telling you is it's actually not Zen2.5. It's just, no, they decided it was better to go a different route to scale performance. And there's yeah, no indication SMT- SMT4 is gone, by the way. Yeah, it might just be further down the road, like with Zen 4 or 5 or something. Yeah, and I mean, uh, from talking to a couple people, I really get the indication that they ran into some problems implementing SMT4 and scheduling correctly and sharing resources across the cache. And so if you start running into issues adding SMT4, you know, four threads per core, you have to ask yourself, is it worth dying on this hill? Or should we just beef up the cores, get it out with higher core counts, better efficiency in 2020, and then we can add it once it's perfected? I mean, I don't think people have a small amount of threads right now. Yeah, and especially with SMT4, like maybe not even being that useful in a lot of applications right now. I mean, and even if it was useful, it's like you got to get it perfect because if the scheduling's off at all, (laughs) <laughs> Even in ha- like some of the applications, I mean, look, think of this, right? Those six cores, if, and it, if from what I've, from what I can tell too, for the like, I'm not, I am not a hardware engineer, but from what I can tell, my idea of like disabling one thread isn't a thing. Maybe they could disable two or all of them, but for the most part, if they implement SMT4 on the chiplets, they'll probably just want to bring up to almost the entire lineup. Okay, so that means your 4600 would then have six, twelve. 18, 24 threads. Yeah. So you're already at 
24 threads for the lower Low mid range. <laughs> and then once you hit um, eight cores, you're at 32 threads, which we know Windows can do. They can do 32 threads. That, but that's about when they start running into issues. <laughs> and so right when you get to a 12 core, 48 threads, 32 core, 128 yeah. threads. Threadripper would be a, a hilarious event. Like 64 threads, 250. I mean, 64 cores, 256 threads. Yeah. yeah. Like, who knows? Like, they need to get that down. They're just getting Windows to make do with 32 threads and 64 threads. And most applications still are, are, are complete. I mean, there were some where they crashed. In old games, they said would crash if you used the 32 core Threadripper. <laughs> so... Yeah, let's get that worked out before we move on with that, I think. Um, Dragonetti031 writes in, just like you can if you support us on Patreon, and says, on 16 nanometer and 2020 to 7 nanometer, Moore's Law said, how long do you think it will take for them to have equal or better performance as Intel and or AMD? All right, so let me see. I think he's talking about NVIDIA. Um, so oh, okay. I may have cut off the question. I don't remember. Uh, so, I mean, NVIDIA's got better performance than AMD right now, but just having giant dies. Uh, but that's right now, AMD still hasn't, I mean, even if it was on 16 nanometer, they would have a small die pretty much compared to what NVIDIA's working with. Yeah. My God, the 2060 is 445 millimeter squared. That's almost Vega sized. Vega 14 nanometer Mm -hmm. size. So, um... Which is about the same performance as Vega 64 as well. So that tells you that it's really not. They're just using die space, guys. <laughs> uh, so, but they can if they do that. I mean, I think if they hit seven nanometer on TSMC or Samsung, they'll they'll be caught up. Probably. Yeah, probably. Uh, there's no unless RDNA 2.0 coming out next year is like another 50 percent jump or something, which I don't expect. Well, I've heard no. some people say that it you shouldn't under, underestimate it. Okay, I mean. Yeah, I, I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> but yeah, so I mean, I, I think NVIDIA will is not a node behind. I really don't count 12 nanometer as a node behind considering how big the reticle limit is. It's just how they've decided to scale performance. Instead of going small and newer, they went big, like a quarter node upgrade over 16 nanometer that has huge sizes. You know, I think they can do the same. They can go to Samsung 7 nanometer, make an 850 millimeter squared die, and that'll compete with 6 nanometer or 7 nanometer UV RDNA. And I mean, yeah, and the amount of shit they would be able to fit on a die that big with a, on that node that. A lot of transistors. Is, the question is what they will do with it, though, because yeah. they are running into scaling issues. If you look at the performance difference between the 2080 Super, which has faster memory, and the 2080 Ti, it's like 20%. So if you think about the core differences, one, two, no, that doesn't really add up. <laughs> it seems like it's mostly just the extra bandwidth. Yeah. So I wonder how much more they'll add. I think they're going to use a lot of that die space to like quadruple ray tracing performance, which I think we all knew was going to happen, right? Yeah, they're going four to stick times with the performance is turning everybody. Well, yeah, and they're going to stick with ray tracing for a while. And I don't know, maybe if they can get it four to eight times better in the next couple of years, maybe it'll be semi-useful. But but again, it's still basically just an extra effect right now. They're not yeah, actually it's, it's ray gi- tracing. Ray, I mean, ray tracing is a gimmick right now. The ideal of ray tracing is to just have one global light and then like other lights you put around and then you don't need to like program anything special. It can just handle it for you. And that is not what is happening. It's just like we just added another special effect like physics. Yeah, because the way it works right now, isn't it like it 
shoots out. So there's still the rasterized lighting. Yeah. They still have that. Yeah, yeah. And then they also have ray trace lighting that just goes on top of it for the things that can use it. Yeah, because we don't have processors strong enough, right? Well, I should say graphics cards strong enough right now to handle that much ray tracing. No, it's a weird, awkward hybrid approach. Okay, number nine. The Intel 10 nanometer demand issues continue, but there's some interesting snippets here in a uh, letter Intel sent to customers and partners. Intel specifically says, the company is in a weird place as for investing CapEx goes. Putting too much CapEx into 14 nanometer right now does not make sense as the, cus- as the company is trying to transition to 10 nanometer volume, but at the same time meet 14 nanometer demand, and it still cannot. Uh, it will lose market share to AMD. That said, putting CapEx into 14 nanometer would make the ramp to 10 slower and also cause market share lo- even more market share loss to AMD in their opinion. This is the dilemma Intel is working with right now, and we are also actively working towards 7 nanometer EUV. So right off the bat, Dan, that's a pretty interesting letter. I think a lot of people have annoyed. Um, it's, ignored. It's a big deal that they're saying now. Yeah, we understand that demand issues for 14 nanometer are there. I mean, not demand, uh, supply issues are there for uh, 14 nanometer, but we have to stop. We have to ramp up 10 nanometer at some point, which suggests that 10 nanometer is going to be a bit, is, they're trying to actually make it the dominant node at some point. <laughs> Exactly. Or at least a sister node, a node that is real, that they really, really are using. And this is something I keep seeing people in the comments go, didn't you see, I don't know, that adored video, 10 nanometer is dead. And it's like, here's the thing. The sources I have that work with people at Intel, my sources are saying it was nearly canceled and that it really was being kept around for R&D. In many ways, it still is. but that yields did start to improve early 2019. And they Mm -hmm. said, we're doing it, we're pressing ahead with Ice Lake. And that they continue to improve and that they will get to a 10 nanometer plus plus. I think it's plus plus next year. I think, yeah, because Ice Lake's plus. Yeah. Uh, And 10 nanometer non-plus was basically uh, potato nanometer. Um, And so that this really will be a real node. Now, they will get 38-core Ice Lake server chips out. They will get uh, quad-core Tiger Lakes out. That should be not just... Because right now, I would say the best Ice Lake quad cores are definitely better than the best 14-nanometer quad cores, but they can only make a few, and the worst ones are like way worse <laughs> than the mid-range 14-nanometer. Yeah. So their yields are still not great, and they can still only make tiny chips. But if they can get it to the point where even the lower 10 nanometers are markedly better than the best 14 nanometer. I mean, they will have a very viable node. And, you know, uh, Willow Cove, which we'll get to in a second, looks pretty impressive. So again, I think they really are transitioning. And this is why I say I really could see them push up some a few Halo 10 nanometer desktop products late, late, late 2020, early 2021. Will, and, now, and everyone goes, who cares? It's not going to beat Zen 3. Guys, I'm not your enemy. I'm not saying it's going to be 10, Zen 3, but it would at least stop AMD from becoming mad with power, which is what I'm hoping. Yeah, I want AMD to be in charge. I just don't want to be mad with power. And hopefully at some point Intel can press on. And the letter you said mentioned 7 nanometer, but hopefully hopefully they can get there. I'm not ready to talk about that yet. Yeah, I'll, yeah. 
I have as you know, a source, a couple sources saying, hey, they really, really think they can get it out by the end of 2021, but okay. don't place bets. Yeah. Okay. Which, I mean, of course not. <laughs> I'm not putting bet any on bets Intel. on Intel right now. <laughs> like they have screwed up so many things, but I do hope so. I do hope they can get 10 nanometer Halo products out by the end of 2020 so that Zen 3 well better. Because if it gets even like right now, I'd say AMD is about twice as good. If they get close to three times as good. Well, Intel's just Intel, not an option like it, at all anymore. Like literally not an option, even in laptop. Then you'll see AMD start price gouging. AMD still can't price gouge because they don't have enough market share to like really get away with that yet. Yeah. And I don't want that. I want them to be in charge so that Intel learns their lesson and AMD gets enough money to really survive forever. I do not want just wanton kicking. I don't want to, I don't want a pile driver situation where we have <laughs> just I3 start getting above because because that's what we're looking at with Zen 3. If Intel doesn't get some kind of 10 nanometer out by the early 2020 on desktop. If they don't get some kind of 10 nanometer Halo products out, I mean, we're looking at the 4600 beating their 10 core in their, gaming their potentially. I-9s. Yeah. <laughs> because single core still matters a lot in gaming. And if they got, let's say, right, let's say Zen 3 is 10 to 20% better single core performance, single thread performance. Yeah. That'll be enough. That this point, a Skylake 10 core won't matter for shit, even against AMD 6 core. And that's basically what happened with the i3 versus Pile Driver. Yeah. And I, I guess we could see ourselves getting into a reversal of that situation. So hopefully they can get a large production of 10 nanometer by soon. Yeah. So, anyways, I have a reader mail question, which, of course, again, if you support us on Patreon, you can write in. Ike says, What will be the long term effects of TSMC and Global Foundry's recent legal settlement? Will Global Foundry start licensing 7 nanometer? Would they hop right to 7 nanometer UV, possibly co manufacturing Zen 3 for AMD? So, do you see any of this drama, Dan? Uh, no, I haven't really seen that much about it. So, I think there was just a lot of counter suing going on between them, and now they've Seem like a pretty mag- magnanimous deal here where they're just like, we're done and we'll cross license a lot of patents. Um, but so, so I know, but what, what I want to address from Ike's question is will GF start licensing seven nanometer? I, I think this is something enough people haven't been clear about, maybe me, and probably including me. Global Foundries did not cancel seven nanometer because they didn't think they could get to it. Global Th- Foundries seemed really confident they could. In fact, they were saying it might be even slightly better than TSMC's 7 nanometer. However, it costs billions of dollars and Global Foundries doesn't have a lot of money. So Mm -hmm. basically, they were going to be forced to spend every penny they have getting to 7 nanometer if anything went wrong, that it would be a big issue and that they didn't see it as worth it from a business point of view. I don't think Global Foundries needs to license a bunch of stuff to get there. They just have to decide to do it. And so I don't know you know, but yeah, I mean, I could see them possibly licensing some things to get to EUV, sure. But again, I, I think what I want to say is they were going to co-manufacture like Zen 2 and other 7 nanometer stuff. They were specifically planning their 7 nanometer to be able to be completely usable for any design for TSMC. So AMD could go to both. Okay. And then they just canceled it. Well, I mean, and with Zen 2, we're still seeing some of that, right? The IO die is yeah. global foundries, correct? Y- yes. Okay. And that's 12 nanometer FinFET non- FDX. Yeah. So, I mean, they could go to 12 nanometer FDX if they really want to. I don't know if there's really a point yet. Uh, I don't know. Um, I don't think it's fair enough to say if it was a mistake, but I'm, I'm leaning towards it was a mistake to not move to 7 nanometer. Yeah, I mean, unless they just straight up didn't have the money, but... 
Yeah, and I guess we won't know everything, and we won't know what could have gone wrong or right if they did. There's no way to know for sure, but C and TSMC just make record profits after record (laughs) profits, and then just say, guess what? Those record profits, 20 billion in new foundries. (laughs) So guess what? Don't worry, there's not going to be supply issues in the future. We're just going to have all supply. Yeah. And then I think they went, (laughs) Maniacal after, yeah. 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 And so I really think GF didn't consider that, uh, you understand, you might just allow TSMC to get away with everything. With just uh, winning. <laughs> yeah. So we'll have to see. And uh, I think GF can do what it wants to do. And they, but they better do it. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> All right. Number 10, Willow Cove info. So we were just talking about that. Let me pull up that article for me and Dan to look at. So yeah, it has a cache rebalancing and it is another architectural upgrade over Ice Lake. I just talked, hinted at that a little yeah. bit. Now we can t- embrace this conversation a little more. Yeah, it's going to have more I.O., uh, PCIe 4.0, which I covered uh, a oh, few wait, times. Yeah, yeah, that's... And um, a large increase in cache size and changing to the cache system. I mean, we're looking at something that, uh, from at least the person I talked to at Intel, says, it's look, it's not going to be as big as Ice Lake, Willow Cove, but it's, it's, it's bigger than, like, you know, these bullshit 5% increases. It could be a 10% IPC increase again. So, I mean, that's... Respect. That's a respectable IPC increase. Mm-hmm. That's not it, massive. I but. think because basically Ice Lake catches up to Zen Two, maybe even slightly eclipses its IPC. Yeah, and then it looks like Willow Cove might catch up, allow it to keep up with Zen Three. Yeah, although it'll still be quad cores. But again, this is what we were talking about. If they can get yields to a respectable level, if they can have Zen Three IPC and a little better efficiency. Uh, these are going to be some more sick. Super thin laptops. Which, and I think the graphics are supposed to be a lot better too. Throw that in there. The graphics are are supposed to be a lot better, you said? I don't know. Actually, I don't know. I've actually heard conflicting things about that. They're supposed to be, but I've heard conflicting things. But yeah, I was just going to say, Intel just seems to be competing for the laptop space, at least right now. Yeah. But, which they're doing a good job keeping AMD out of that still. So. Yeah. And I think that's just moving forward until they can get either 10 nanometer, at least most of the way to as good as 14 nanometer in terms of yields. Oh, well, 14 super mature. I mean, if until they can get it to 60 or 70% yields and switch over some of their foundries to 10. So they have like a bunch of 10 nanometer foundries or until they get to seven nanometer EUV and tool up at a bunch of foundries. They're basically forced to just make these hyper efficient, hyper competitive laptop quad cores. Problem is AMD is moving to eight cores and APUs next year. And then at the same time, flooding the desktop market with 14 nanometer. They're not really flooding quite yet, but guys, they can. If their capacity, you know, they'll they'll just lower the price. They can certainly afford. They can certainly afford to sell that 10 core coming out next year for like 200 bucks. Unless all of their demand needs to go to supplying like servers but which which is the priority yeah. so as they that's the funny thing too is it's almost helping them as they lose a little bit of do-it-yourself market and the entire hedt market <laughs> right now those aren't big markets but they're like whatever we're making zeons right now and hoping to keep up demand and laptops which is what most people buy anyways yeah i guess uh willow cove looks exciting I, i'm excited to see zen 3 apus versus willow cove late next year yeah which, oh, I was going to ask you about that. Do you know uh, at all like what their efficiency for the manufacturing on 10 nanometer is right now? Or There's nothing. There's no data. Okay. I was just curious. Um, I, here's what I'd say. So Canon Lake came out in 
2018. Yeah. They only made dual cores. They they weren't even disabled quad cores. They only tried to oh, make yeah, two yeah. cores, four threads, and none of them had graphics. So, those so were- they were like freaking tiny, tiny, tiny chips that were like 10 watt i3s that they sold in laptops in Asia. And those had lower clocks than the 14 nanometer i3s. And they had the so, same architectural IPC, if not maybe slightly better. I think it was the same. And so my, I've heard people say, I have never seen an official document or statement, but I've had people who worked at Intel, Intel say, I mean, the yields may have been as low as 5, 1%. And that they just produced like, you know, they just produced like 10,000 chips, threw most of them away, and then said, we made 10 nanometer, and they used it to learn from mistakes too, though. And as you said earlier in the podcast, the 10 nanometer uh, potato. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> at the potato yields. And then they go to 10 nanometer plus with Ice Lake. What I know is I can get one at Best Buy, and so, the best yields are better than 14 nanometer, or at least comparable. So if I had to guess, I think Broadwell was at like 40% yields when it first came out. So I'm guessing 30 not good. Not good. Not one percent <laughs> though. So they're improving. That's forty times better. And I'd I'd you... say I don't expect them to really attempt to make any desktop chips until they can get to at least. I think Skylake was at about seventy. Okay. I remember hearing they still were having problems with Skylake, but it just got better from there. Mm-hmm. So I'm guessing. Yeah, I'm guessing they're at like forty now, thirty to forty, and they will be at uh, fifty at least next year, which is enough where they can at least have Broadwell levels. Of, some token CPUs for the well, Broadwell wasn't token though. Market. Oh yeah, they, they can have some token ones for the do-it-yourself. Yeah, like they yeah, did yeah. with Broadwell. Yeah, I, I'm not saying Dan has a token. Is a token i7? Token. I'm about to get. Well, I'm not going to get rid of it, but I'm about. Now nah, we should it. keep that. Its graphics are really good too. For yeah, even to this day, it's about as good as. Oh well, no, nah, it's not as good as an MX250 probably. Uh, I don't know. I, well, I don't know. To, maybe I would need to look. I don't remember. Yeah. Anyways, moving on to number 11. This is fun, Dan. So let's just, uh, this is about Google Stadia, how it's doing. I will say, and I will continue to say, I think Google Stadia success will be predicated on if they can have ads pop up on a YouTube video, new Assassin's Creed, click to play, and it says now for free. You click on it. It's in 720p, maybe even just 30 frames, but they get the input lag down to a point where it's not god awful. They have ads in the background, but you get to try it out for an hour. That is what Stadia should be for, for the people that weren't ever going to bother to download a game for five bucks, but would put up with some ads if they can literally play by clicking now. Yeah, and... It's not what it is, though. Yeah, Stadia is, uh, at its current state, bad, in my opinion, because what you... Very bad, yeah. You need to pay a subscription fee and pay for all the games, right? And deal with... Really bad. Which I, I I forgave when I heard about that because <clears throat> it's like, you know, 4K 60 HDR, that's still a premium experience. So I get what they're trying to do. They're like, well, this is better than your $1,000 PC. So that's why we're charging some amount of money for streaming. It's oh, just and, not, though. And, and they also <laughs> make you buy a stupid fucking box, though. Yeah. And so here's the thing, though. It's not better. Uh, uh, there were some games where it looked clearly worse than like high settings on PC. There was tearing. And there are some games they said worked fine, actually, but some games, the input lag, especially like on a, a slower TV, was like crazy bad. Yeah, and I, I saw some videos. It looked like, I, it's hard to say, but it looked like it was probably about 200 millisecond delay. So, Well, and that was, was on bad. TVs, though. I bet if you were on a monitor, 
It wouldn't be. Oh, yeah, that's and, But true. this is the problem. A lot of people play their consoles or their, you know, living room PCs on a TV. Let's be honest. Humans are not always the fastest reaction times. You can have a 10, 20, 50 millisecond delay and people might not notice. Now, I, I specifically bought my TV because it has gaming monitor response times. Mm-hmm. And it's noticeable, by the way, over my old Sharp TV. It is definitely noticeable. <laughs> or our parents' Sony TV that's like five years old. It's definitely noticeable lower response times. But here, but most people won't even notice if it's 50 milliseconds. But they will notice if you're streaming at 100 milliseconds plus 50. That's, it's just a threshold. Either you notice it or you don't. And combining like the slower TVs with streaming is a problem I bet Google didn't anticipate. The fact yeah. that it's just that extra 100 that makes it worse. Yeah. Oh, that makes sense, I guess. Which, because I saw some TVs at some websites where like they, they like show a GIF, and they press the button, and even without it being a slow-mo GIF, you can see like the delay in shooting. I think it was like Far Cry, actually. Oh, yeah. I, I can't remember the video I saw. It was some, I don't know, it looked like some really cheap game that like, I don't know, press colors when they show up thing or something like that. But like you could see him not just press the button, but his thumb get off the button and then it moved. Yeah, it it wasn't good. (laughs) Yeah. So yeah, right now, Google Stadia is a complete bust. It only has like like 30 games. I think they just added another 10 or something. A a complete bust as I predicted, because when I saw it, I was like, that's not going to work very well. But I just want everyone to succeed, but uh, not looking like it. And also, they talk about this on the Sacred Symbols podcast, the fact that right before Stadia came out, Microsoft just walks out, guess what? You can now stream on Xbox Game Pass, and they walk away. Yeah. That was just them announcing right before Stadia comes out, this is fucked. And this is also right also right before Stadia came out, Sony drops the price on PS Now. So, And I'll also add, I'm fine with Stadia failing. Personally, I don't think Google needs to be more powerful than I they agree. already are. Just like... <laughs> I hope like the Mandalorian that looks like a good show survives somewhere, but I'm fine with Disney Plus not doing well. I don't know if Disney needs more power. Yeah, exactly. You know, Google's powerful enough. They're a mega company. Um, I was hoping it would work out. And I will say this again. I really, really think that what they're going for is a success if it's just free games for people who won't bother to pay a few dollars and can click on an ad. But it's clear it's not going to target that. They really tried to make it look like it was this new premium experience that's easier. And that's just not happening. Not what it is. Not happening at all. At least not yet. Even a little bit. No. (laughs) All right. So let us move on to number 12. A new Half-Life game. Half-Life. 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 Half-Life Alex VR looks amazing. Yeah, I think I said this on the live stream. It looks really good. I hope I get to play it at some point. But <laughs> oh, eventually we will. Yeah. You know. I'm just happy it's going to exist because here I'll be honest, when I heard they were making a Half-Life VR game, I just assumed it was like episode 2 put in VR yeah, or something, same. you know, and or Half-Life 1 remastered in VR. Like that's kind of what I expected, which again, I would want to put that eventually, but then I watched the trailer and I was like, oh no, they've completely... It's, this is a game. <laughs> this is a full game. Its graphics aren't you know, as good as Death Stranding, but they're good. They're much, much better than what they used to be. It's completely a new story uh, with you know Alex's backstory, which is a great idea. Uh, showing him like pick up with his hand gloves, like the shotgun shell and put it in the shotgun system and 
Uh, I got goosebumps when I heard like the <laughs> when he, she killed the guy, one of the uh, combine, and the uh, heart stopping noise played. Yeah, and the mysterious <laughs> man at the end, the G man stepping out of the darkness. Yeah, which I heard that it it was interesting. Can't remember the podcast, but they were talking about how like I mean, it's kind of obvious that they would their next big game would be a VR only game because Valve always like tries to demonstrate tech with their games. Yeah, uh, I I thought they would have done this a long time ago. Frankly, I thought there was a chance they were going to do a Half-Life 3 or at least Episode 3. Um, it can't be an Episode 3. Valve hates Can't three. even do an ep- a Half-Life 2 Episode 3? Valve hates 3. I can't. I thought that'd be a compromise. They could. Maybe they could do Episode 2-2. Two, two. That might work. 2-2? Two, two? Yeah. yeah, I guess that would work. Or 2-1 and then 2-2. Two, two. <laughs> like, uh... But yeah, the running joke that they'll never make a third game of anything. But um, yeah, I thought they would do that for like SteamOS's launch. Yeah. I mean, what a no-brainer. I don't know. At this point, I feel like if they actually tried to make a, tr- a proper sequel to Half-Life, it, it would. there's no way it wouldn't disappoint everyone. So, Well, so that was something that I heard someone say too, which is an interesting idea, is they kind of had to do something weird with the third game so that they have an excuse. So that I've, this is going to be a good game. Everyone knows, no matter what they made, that's Valve. It's going to be a good Half-Life game. But that the expectations for it to be the best one ever would be too high. So if they make it a VR game, they have an excuse. They're like, well, yeah, but it's a VR game. So it's okay if it's not better than two. Yeah. And at least this will also allow them to test the waters with like a 10-hour campaign. Mm-hmm. And then if it sells gangbusters, which, I mean, yep. it, it probably will. Like, then they can just say, all right, we just have to make three. Which I don't understand how they haven't come to that conclusion yet. But Valve is a weird company that doesn't have any. Well, hot, they're 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 busy making uh, digital hats right now, which is important. Apparently, they're making a goddamn killing on them, so I don't <laughs> blame them. But at a certain point, you know, I also hear like you have to give your people projects that are fun so they don't die of unhappiness. <laughs> like they can't all just want to make hat games. Hmm, maybe they do. Yeah, one guy didn't want to, and he made Alex, but Half Life Alex, I should. All right, Dan, we have one more story here, and I added this one for fun. (laughs) Number 13, Russia is experimenting with VR goggles on cows for milk production. They're happy uh, VR cows. I mean, what do you think, Dan? It looks pretty cool. Putting VR devices on farm animals. (laughs) I mean, if that actually works, that's interesting. (laughs) I don't know, though. It is Russia. Could you just, uh, it is Russia. See, because it's like, I'd say there's a most likely, this is just them trying to look futuristic and like, look at our immense potato production. We make best potatoes in VR cows. And then none of it's ever actually working. I'm curious if like the cows, because I, I know your dog isn't like this, but my dog doesn't even like, I'm reading this article. I'm sorry, I pointed. Dan's looking at what I'm pointing at here. The ethics surrounding the experiment are up for debate. What? Who cares about cows wearing goggles? The cows give consent to wear goggles, Tom? The cows <laughs> fart and eat barbed wire. They're not that smart, guys. That's why you need to give them the cow magnet. So they don't eat barbed wire to death. Well, no. So if they eat the fencing, it just collects in one spot in their stomach and doesn't... Kill them. Yeah. This is from fourth grade science class, so I don't know how valid this is. So if you're a farmer that raises cows, let us know. 
do you feed your cows magnets? I was taught this in fourth grade, and I want to know. Yeah, that's true. I've just, I haven't updated that news. <laughs> I've, I've been to farms recently and seen, like, the thing, though. Okay. They still do it, I'm pretty sure. Okay. But good. let us know. Write us and read your mail. But yeah, I was going to say, I don't know. I know your dog notices stuff on TVs, but my dog just straight up can't, like, register what's on a TV. Like, yeah. she doesn't care. Yeah, mine's one so, of the Oracle dogs that people have seen Isle of Dogs. So I'm curious, like, is there just... How many cows actually register what they're looking at in a VR goggle? Are they just like, why are you covering my face with black and light? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I guess we'll have to ask Russia in a year. We'll see what they say. Milk production up 50%. Up 50%. Finest milk and cadmium production in all of them of the world. <laughs> all right. Well, Dan, we have one more reader mail question. Shall we put up with this piece of shit? Yeah. God damn it. Dr. Forbin writes in just like you can if you support us on Patreon. And he says, Tom, quit being so arrogant. Well, first of all, I'm not arrogant. Fuck you, Tom. Okay. Well, Dan says we'll take any chance he can to just say fuck Tom. I think that's fair, though. Yeah. Well, fuck you, Dan. And Dan has a face like, yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Uh, My question is about value price monitors. What do you recommend under the 350 high refresh? Can I get high-res too. So I want to say that one of our um, die shrinks we're going to do eventually is another like form factor episode about monitors, sizes, and then, you know, that type of thing. So we'll probably talk about it in more detail there. But I do want to bring this up a little bit, the concept that, guys, monitors are like a joke, in my opinion, right now, and how overpriced they are. Uh, high refresh monitor, you can get like a 1080p 144 hertz. How much would that cost? Well, I got one for $200. <laughs> so you four or five years ago. So, so my guess is you could get a really good one for like two to three hundred dollars. Maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> I haven't bought a monitor for five five years. And we've talked about this multiple times. Dan has a six year old. Uh, yeah, almost six now. Almost six year old. Four K five millisecond response time. Samsung monitor. He got it for six hundred dollars, which is more than you would pay now for a TN panel four K. But it's that old, and and now what do you get for half? You'll get it for like half the price. I mean, let's put it this way: Can you get a high? Uh, can I get high refresh and high res? I mean, our friend Brock got his three fifty dollar IPS FreeSync four K monitor. It was an LG. What's the refresh? A few right years ago, sixty. 60 he can overclock well, it though. He just hasn't, or maybe he has. I don't know. I think he can go up to seventy two hertz in four K. Four K. Can you really go above 60 hertz in 4K right now? I'm sure you can. Yes. Some monitors. But. Yeah. Well, mine can. My TV can. Oh, yeah. Yours can. <laughs> and yeah, they make $200 G-Sync ones. $2,000 G-Sync ones. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I, I would say for the past, I'd say five years ago, monitors kept going down and down and down in price and they plateaued. And now they've just slowly been going up over four years. Yeah. Like $10 higher. And I've seen other people write in uh, when I mentioned this on a die shrink too, and say the same thing that yeah, they're they're just like he got a monitor three years ago, and now it's ten dollars more and doesn't come with any extra cables. Like I don't know. I, I mean, people have basically decided they will pay a hundred fifty for a ten eighty p. They will pay four hundred for a fourteen forty p, and they will pay five hundred for a four k. And that's it. People are just going to keep doing that, I guess. Yeah, I don't know because I've. De- because I want to upgrade, but the prices have not come down since I yeah, got my new yeah, monitor. Yeah, because I, I wouldn't want to upgrade until I ha- can at least get like 4K 120 hertz. But And you um, see all these videos like 4K 120 hertz stupid because it's expensive. 
cool, but it's the same price it's been for five years. Yeah, That's it insane. should be expensive still. Like people just keep buying 1440p monitors for $400, which is laughable. My phone is 4K now. Like they're just not giving it to PC gamers because they're like, well, apparently they'll pay more for lights instead of a resolution. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Hopefully it gets better. Yeah, I mean, I guess I'll just recap my opinion on monitors, right? Um, I would say I really think I recommend 1080p, 144, maybe 240 hertz if you're an esports gamer. And... 4K, 60, uh, and a lot of this DisplayPort ones, especially the latest DisplayPorts, if you have a good cable. I've seen a lot of 4K monitors from LG be overclockable to up to 72 hertz. Yeah. Wait. And so just go with that. You know, that's what I, and again, it's like, why, why don't you recommend 1440p? It's in between the price. Cause it's like, well, what do you want? Do you want a max? Cause if you're going to go to 144 hertz, I think you want locked 144 or you want 4K. Like, I don't see 1440p 144 is <laughs> still not easy to run in most games that are new. No, and I think... Almost that, no games, actually. I think actually. that'll be several years before you get graphics cards where that makes that easy to run. Maybe out. Big Navi will just make us laugh at the fact that we were paying so much. Maybe. <laughs> but yeah, so I mean, that's what I recommend. And you can get a 1080p free sync, 144 hertz for like 150 now. So just get that. Or get a 4K IPS for like 300, 350, 400. Mm-hmm. And that's my recommendation. Uh, the other thing I will say is look on eBay because there are some Chinese and South Korean monitors where I know there's a $1,000. It's unfortunately, I think 39 inches or 43 inches. And it's a 4K 120 hertz. But if your desk is big enough and you want a big screen, I know a lot of people as they get older just want a bigger screen. So there's that. And then there's also, I've seen like 19 and 20 inch uh, 1800p, so four times 900p monitors that are 165 hertz. So if you have a small desk, yeah, I think that's a pretty interesting option. And 1600p is a pretty good. 18. Between, oh, sorry. Yeah, that's not 16. 1800p is yeah. pretty good in between resolution, which it's better enough than 1080p versus. I would consider that over 1440. Yeah, that, yeah, that's what I was trying to get at. It's close enough to 4K. To <laughs> you know, I think that it looks really, really good. The difference between 1800p and 4K, like if you do a resolution scale down, you do this all the time, Dan, right? Down to like 80% resolution scale. Yeah. It still looks fantastic, right? Yeah. So that's what most console games run at, and I think they look fantastic. Death Stranding is probably the best looking game I've ever played. Did you agree with that? It's up there. Yeah, it's a little above 1440p in resolution, but lock 60 at least. That's nice. Yeah, and on the 1080p monitor, I've been playing on over Thanksgiving at Super Samples, so. Yeah, yeah, uh, I've got a bunch of portable monitors. I let Dan use my portable 1600p, 16 by 10 monitor. Yeah. It's 10 inches. He just like puts his head next to it. It looks good. (laughs) Playing on my portable 4K IPS monitor. It's It's a 16 incher. Not the only thing that's a 16-incher. Your shoes. Yep. Anyways, <laughs> uh, anything? I mean, that's it, Tim. That's all of the uh, stories. We I did it. We whipped through them pretty quickly. Uh, that's all of the reader mail for this episode. Uh, anything else you want to talk about? No. Aside from, I'm excited to rebuild my PC. <laughs> that's right. Dan's building a 2700X. 16 gigabytes of RAM. And my seven-year-old ATX tower. Mid midi ATX tower. <laughs> yeah, it's a smaller one for well, compared to some. I just no. went to a friend's house. Him and his wife, their towers are like the size of a refrigerator. 
that NZXT Phantom. Yeah, I think I think they actually have one. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so uh, I don't know. It's the holiday season. Enjoy. There will be more videos coming, more podcasts coming. Eleven years of a PC gamer. Well, four part series cut starts rolling out in a couple weeks. We'll see, and then uh, we'll be uh, rolling into the new year. Please do consider supporting us too. This is fan supported. I do not intend on doing a bunch of motherboard reviews, RAM reviews, where I just have to say something's good. I do like the idea, as long as we can do this, or as long as we can keep scaling it up, of just being like, well, I mean, how many times do we just call these companies stupid in this episode? <laughs> I like the idea of being able to speak freely. Yeah. And that's what the point of it is. Fan support means that. And that's why I continue to roll out more stuff. I am uh, bringing more features to the Patreon, too. I'm, I'm doing it slowly but surely and thinking of more things to add. I might start bringing out some video versions of podcasts. Let me know what you guys want because I do have... I'll let you guys on a secret. It's okay. No one's listening anymore. It's the end of the podcast. I'll let you in on a secret on you on you people who listen to the end. Like uh, I do have a couple of video versions of some of them podcasts stored that I just never have uploaded. Um. I'm considering doing some in the future for, you know, the fourth core unlocked and ups, but uh, I could technically release that Sapphire episode or maybe a couple of the die shrinks if I wanted to. They're just old episodes. So I don't know if you would care. I don't know how much the video feed adds to it. You can see my uh, shitty camera angle as I give, put no effort into uh, actually. <laughs> yeah. Dan looks like one of those cool guys on your mom's house. Terrible framing. Like you see half of his face. Uh, I don't see his dog in the background sometimes, though. That would be think fun. the most important. Yeah. Yeah. She's All right. Cute. <laughs> she is pretty cute. We should at least give them a picture of your dog at some point. Uh, I'll send you one. Yeah. All right. Well, I hope you enjoyed it. Hope you enjoyed our VR cow story that I threw in just because <laughs> I thought it was ridiculous. Any last words, Dan? I got nothing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't have anything either. It's a cold existence. All right. <laughs> Happy holidays, everybody. <laughs> Broken Silicon, a PC hardware and gaming podcast, is predominantly brought to you by me, Tom, of Moore's Law is Dead. And you can find all of my content, including videos, articles, and this podcast at www.moreslawsdead.com. And of course, it is also often co-hosted by my brother, Dan. And it is edited by my sound engineer, Gerard Cortez. You can find his contact information at www.moreslawsdead.com. You can also find the contact information of my article editor, Carbon Cry. Now, of course, if you want to keep the show running, I really do hope you rate me on your podcasting platform of choice. Share it with your friends. And if you have the money, but only if you do, consider supporting me on Patreon at Moore's Laws Dead. If you do, you get access to the Discord to talk to other enlightening people who work not just at AMD, not just at NVIDIA, but often in the server space and other computing areas that people often overlook. And of course, if you support it, you can get access to reading these people's names that keep the show running. But without further ado, let me give thanks to my greatest supporters. On November 29th, 2019, the following people at the net first 10 gigahertz level or higher 
Bootman, Hunter Drake, Dean, Ruckus, Justin Yant, Thomas Rupp, Tomas Baraz, Jesse Blanton, Jordan Betcher, Muhammad Alquari, Matthew Rubacher, Prime Tech TV, Justin Parrish, Zachary Martin, Terrence Herod, Carl Marco, Otter Weissick, Thy Rister, The Ninth Dude, Greg Renegar, John Bible, Daniel Cash, Night Rogue, 77, Mechanical Philosopher, Lebo Kinkilo, Folix, Derek Evans, Matthew McMullen, Chris Hopnobok, Neil X01, Matt Salem, Aaron Close, Sexy, Scott Show, Frederick Lau, Alexander Delar, Alethros, Telos, Kaiden, Greg T. Wanchuk, Jacob Barber, X Soti, Wani Carebear, Matthew Lane, Paul Jones, Jane Rohner, Rubber Ducks, Nick Neasy, Ali Robertson, Gordon Lamb, Carbon Cry, uh, Larry Hoskins II, and Michael Costa. Thank you for your support, and thank you to Sahara for this music. Mm-hmm.